Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello dear listeners, how are you? I hope you're well. This episode of the podcast is sponsored as usual by iTalki, which you can use to find English teachers for lessons or just speaking practice over Skype at your convenience. Also with iTalki, you can do other things like you can test your level of English using the Oxford online placement test. You can use their social network to find language exchange partners or just to chat with people about your English. And Christmas is coming up, just in case you didn't realise. So if you're looking for gift ideas, you can offer italki gift cards to people. If there's someone you know who might like some one-to-one lessons in any language for a Christmas or birthday present, you could send them an italki gift card, which they can use to get some lessons. It's just an idea for Christmas, maybe, or in fact, any other time of the year, italki gift cards. And don't forget, because you listen to this podcast, when you buy some talking time, italki will send you a voucher for a free lesson. For all of the details, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash talk or click an italki logo on my website. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Right, so this episode series is all about the Collins Words of the Year. You're listening to part two uh, now. Obviously, I recommend that you listen to part one of this first because that's how numbers work. Two generally comes after one which obviously you knew already, you knew that already. But you can do what you like, of course. You could listen to part two first and then listen to part one if you like and just go for it. Maybe English is your favourite subject, not maths. So, okay, just feel free to forget about numbers and sequences and just listen on for the English. Uh, So the Collins Words of the Year... Collins is a company that makes dictionaries, and every year they release a list of their words of the year. These are words which have been used a lot in the last 12 months and seem to sum up the general mood of the moment. The words represent things that have been happening in culture, politics, and general life during the year. In this series, I'm talking about the Collins words of the year for 2017. I know that's last year. I'm recording this in 2018. So, words of the year for 2017. I know that's last year, but the words are still very relevant to what's going on now in 2018 when I'm recording this. Uh, I'm defining the words. So, this is what I'm doing. I'm defining the words and then just talking about how they relate to what's going on at the moment and kind of giving my thoughts. Um, When I've been through the words for 2017... I'm going to go on to the words for 2018, hopefully joined by Amber, um, one of the pod pals, one of the friends of the podcast, uh, for a bit of conversation rather than just me on my own, ranting or rambling uh, on my own. In 2015, the Collins word of the year was binge watch. In 2016, it was Brexit. Uh, In the last uh, episode... I talked a lot about fake news, which was the word of the year for 2017. So let's keep going through the rest of the word list for 2017 now then. 
and uh, we'll be we'll be going through the rest of the list in alphabetical order. Is it in alphabetical? Yeah, it's alphabetical order. So the next item on the list is the word antifa. Antifa. Antifa, like one word, antifa. And this is a noun or an adjective. So the noun is basically, it means an anti-fascist organisation, or it means a member of an anti-fascist organisation. So you can have like uh, an anti-fat could be a group of people or an individual person. It's also an adjective, and that means involving, belonging to, or relating to an anti-fascist um, organisation. Okay, um, so antifa or antifa protesters, for example. I think antifa are mainly in the USA, but there are probably similar counter-protest anti-fascist groups in other countries as well. Uh, Antifa, though, is mainly a US term for a US phenomenon. But having said that, with with the pervasiveness of the internet, this word and its associated ideas and vocabulary has spread to many areas of the English-speaking world because much of the time these so-called fascists and anti-fascists are clashing with each other online, not just within the borders of a particular country. So anti-fa, yeah, it's an American idea, but, you know, uh, it's being used in English in many contexts outside of uh, the, the United States. Certainly, I keep seeing arguments in comments sections of different websites like YouTube and Twitter. Uh, I know I probably shouldn't read those comments sections because it's like entering the sewer system. You know, the sewer system that's um, uh, generally underground. And it's where all of the poo and pee, all the stuff that gets flushed down the toilet, it all eventually goes down into the sewer system and is washed away. So the sewer system is like this dirty, disgusting place where all of the worst things go. Uh, and so I was saying, like the comment section of YouTube sometimes is a bit like this. It's like going into the sewer system or something. It's smelly and you might catch something down there. Not always. Often uh, comments in YouTube videos are great and you get to see people's interesting comments and interesting conversations and jokes and things. But, you know, some videos, like if it's on a particularly contentious subject, if it's about politics or something... You often end up with, uh, oh, horrible things, um, uh, horrible comments and very sort of just get the, the dark underbelly of what's going on and people's real opinions. And I don't know, it, it, for some reason, YouTube seems to encourage people to just write horrible things. I don't know why. Uh, so, yeah, it's a bit like the sewer system, but I can't help myself. I always get fascinated by the often angry comments that people write and the petty arguments and stuff. So when I'm watching YouTube videos, I have to admit, I often my attention creeps down into the comment section and uh, I kind of read what people are writing. It's often very unpleasant and you can read some shockingly racist views and other ideas that are quite depressing. Uh, I find it both amusing and disturbing how even some innocent YouTube videos about non-controversial topics have comment sections which descend into awfulness. And it's like, how on earth, how did this comment section get so horrible? This is like a video about, I don't know, like how to make a nice cake. And there's people are abusing each other racially in the comment section. Like, what happened? So anyway, um, 
The word Antifa probably relates to people in physical spaces in the USA, but this whole topic area extends beyond those borders when you're online in English. Antifa is a kind of reduced portmanteau word, a combination of two other words, and it's sort of reduced. So you've got anti-fascist, stick it together, anti-fascist, and then, you know, uh, make it shorter, Antifa. Um, And as Trevor Noah, the presenter of The Daily Show, that kind of funny satirical politics comedy show that you get on American TV, it's hosted by Trevor Noah these days. So as Trevor Noah on The Daily Show said, the name Antifa is quite convenient for anti-fascist demonstrators because you don't actually need to be able to spell the word fascist to be able to use it. Um, because fascist is is a little difficult word, a slightly difficult word to spell. F a s c i s t. So all those anti anti fascist demonstrators, they don't necessarily need to write the word fascist on their posters anymore. Uh, they don't need to worry about the spelling. Antifa. So oh god, this topic's a bit heavy, isn't it? It is. It's this is a heavy one. Uh, fake news in the last episode got a bit deep and dark and now we're talking about fascism and stuff i promise there are more light-hearted words in this list okay there's stuff about dating uh fidget spinner is one of the words that's coming up that's less heavy and political isn't it i think it is although i'm sure it's possible to have some sort of vitriol vitriolic argument about fidget spinners as well But anyway, don't worry, fidget spinners are coming, although the world has probably moved on from fidget spinners already, hasn't it? You know what fidget spinners are, those? They're those things that there were a craze last year, the year before that. They may still be popular, but they're these things that you see kids and some adults holding them, and it's like a little disc, and it spins round, and you you can hold it between your fingers while it's spinning, like this little spinning disc thing. That's a fidget spinner. So anyway, fidget spinners are coming, although I expect the world has moved on from them and they're not really, they're probably old news now. Anyway, this word, Antifa, and it's, so this word is Antifa and it's kind of all about punching fascists like Captain America, because that's what Captain America was famous for doing in the original comics. He would, I think he, he was known for punching fascists. Um, or at least punching Nazis. Is it the same thing? Ooh. Okay, so here we go then. So what I'm going to do here, actually, or what I've decided to do, is read from a page on the BBC's website, which is like a little summary of some things that, that you know, if you want to know about Antifa, here are some some bits of information. So I'm going to read from a page on the BBC's website. Now, I know some people listening might say, that that is biased information, meaning it's not objective information. It's it's um, there's a spin on it. You could say on the subject of fidget spinners, you could say there's a spin on the information, like it's not completely objective. People might say that oh, the BBC it's biased. So some people might say that this is biased information because it isn't negative enough, or it's it's not critical enough of anti-fascists. Like I don't know. Some of you, I'm sure there's someone who's like, I need, you know, I need to defend the fascists. I'm sure there's someone out there like, like that. But uh, but I would say that this information I'm going to read, uh, uh, it's just information about Antifa. And if you read or listen objectively, you'll see that it 
neither glorifies nor condemns the movement. It just describes who they are, what they want and what they do, basically. That's all I'm trying to do here. So let's have a look at this BBC uh, page. So this is from um, a section of the BBC website from a BBC podcast, which is called Seriously. And Seriously is basically a, a podcast that focuses on just interesting documentaries about uh, a whole range of different subjects. Like they've got they've got something about wine, they've got uh, uh, something about cosplay, they have um, they they did a little documentary about um, um, like uh, sex in in literature. They did one about cyborgs, um, social media. They've done one about apathy in the UK, about the shapes of women's bodies. Miles Davis, the the musician, you know, lots. Uh, William Shakespeare, the Sex Pistols. Um, you know, lots and lots of different topics covered by this uh, documentary series, uh, which I think you can get as a podcast. You could check it out, BBC um, podcast, and the the name is Seriously. But anyway, this is a page from the website for the BBC Seriously podcast, and it just says seven things that you need to know about Antifa. So I'm just going to read through it. Okay, you can find the link to this page on the uh, on the website. Um, and uh, so it goes like this, seven things you need to know about Antifa. Online battles between far-right groups and anti-fascists, or Antifa, are now regularly spilling out onto the streets of the United States of America. But who are Antifa, and what do they represent? Um, Anissa Subida and Mike Wendling went to the west coast of America to find out for Seriously podcast... Um, here are seven facts you need to know. So number one, how long have Antifa been around? So how long have they been around? Yeah, when did they first start? Some Antifa groups date the origins of their movement to fights against European fascists in the 1920s and 1930s. Mark Bray, the author of Antifa, the Antifascist Handbook, says the modern American Antifa movement began in the 1980s with a group called Anti-Racist Action. Its members confronted neo-Nazi skinheads at punk music gigs in the American Midwest and elsewhere. By the early 2000s, the Antifa movement was mostly dormant. Dormant meaning sleeping, basically. So it was mostly dormant. It kind of went away until the rise of Donald Trump and the alt-right. So, number two, how do you pronounce Antifa? According to, to Bray, the, the guy who wrote the anti-fascist handbook, there are multiple different pronunciations. In the United States, most people say Antifa. In Europe, it's sometimes referred to as Antifa. So, Antifa, Antifa, which Bray believes has been influenced by the Italian word antifascismo. He says, an, he says Antifa doesn't correct people who pronounce it differently so it seems there's you know this is one of those words where there's a few different pronunciations of it antifa antifa i'm saying antifa as you can hear Uh, number three what are they opposed to so what what is it that antifa are against well neo-nazis neo-fascism this means sort of nazis that are active now fascists or fascism that's happening now in the in the modern like in this particular time 
Uh, so they're against neo-Nazis, neo-fascism, white supremacists and racism. And these days, the movement uh, that, that encapsulates some of those ideas, the alt-right. So the alt-right, this is a term that's used to generally refer to the sort of new right-wing movement. And the alt-right, I mean, this is a, uh, a term that you read about and you hear a lot. And it's also quite a broad term, meaning it, it, it includes many different types of thing. But generally, we, when people talk about the alt-right, they're talking about the kind of new right-wing movement. Okay. Um, now, alt-right, sometimes that's sort of a pejorative term. Sometimes it's used uh, as a with a negative sense. And sometimes people use alt-right to refer to a movement that they feel part of. So, you know, alt-right is a tricky one as well. Sometimes that's that's got negative connotations or positive connotations, depending on where you stand in relation to the ideas of the alt-right. But from the anti-fascist point of view, and the and the anti anti fat well the, their political allegiances are diverse but um from the anti fascist point of view the alt right includes ideas like um fascism and white supremacism which is the idea that you know um the white race is superior uh, and should be prioritized over other races and and nationalism to an extent nationalism i suppose is just the promotion of one nation uh or maybe a certain ethnic group that is associated with that nation it's the promotion of that nation above other other groups like um yeah you get the idea right now you know people say donald trump is part of the alt right I think you'll know what that means then. Think about all the things that Donald Trump seems to represent um, today that he's, um, you know, he's, he's he takes an extremely strong line against uh, immigration and, you know, all the all the things that we associate, all the ideas that we associate with Donald Trump right now, for better or worse, um, the alt-right. Okay, so I'll, I'll keep reading the article. We spoke to secret Antifa groups in Oregon. They said that they come from a variety of political backgrounds, but that they were united in their opposition to fascism. And they have an anti-government streak, which means that some people in the movement sort of are generally against the government as well, which is a particularly American thing. You know, that, that there's a lot of people in America who mistrustful of the government who just don't believe in government. And you get people on the right and probably people on the left as well, and to an extent, who are anti-government. I think, you know, libertarian is 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 the word for people who are anti-government or anti-governmental control. So anyway, so according to, to Antifa, they come from a variety of political backgrounds. But the thing that unites them is that they are opposed to fascism. We're going to look at what fascism means in a minute. Uh, another tricky term. Um, they said that they see creeping authoritarianism in the current American administration and that they are looking to build a movement that really insulates us from the policies of Donald Trump. Creeping authoritarianism. Authoritarianism is like basically like total control. Um, 
authoritarianism. It's like when uh, the, the government or a leader has total control of them. They don't really have any opposition or sort of um, uh, opposition to governmental uh, power has been broken down to the point where the people in charge have like total control. That's authoritarianism, like uh, the the expression of like, you know, total authority uh, by central government or by a leader or something okay so basically they're saying that they they see this creeping authoritarianism that's authoritarianism that's slowly building slowly coming in it's creeping in uh in the and they see this in the current american administration i mean probably you know you just need to look at things like typical uh press conferences by the trump administration and the way that they there's this sense that they are maybe blocking out certain things like accessed by certain uh parts of the media and and you know all right i don't need to go into too much detail i think you know what i mean um so i'll keep reading the article it says it's not just resisting the federal administration but also resisting moves that can lead to fascism one member told us and those happen locally whether from local officials or from local alt-right movements so they, their kind of target that they're looking at is the way that the um, there are certain moves or changes going on in government, both at a federal level and at a local level, that can lead to essentially fascism taking hold in the country. So they want to sort of protect, um, in, in the United States, they want to protect the country from this cr- sense that fascism might be creeping in to American political life. Um, they want to try and stop that, limit that, um, insulate the country from from that. Point four, why do they all dress in black? Because um, I don't know if you've seen any footage of Antifa protesters on the telly or, you know, on, online, but they, so if, if like, for example, there's a, there's a, um, a rally by, let's say, white nationalists, white supremacists, it's hard to know how to define them, but people marching in the street and uh, uh, in some cases waving Nazi iconography like some Nazi flags or 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 when these sorts of events happen, Antifa might come in and be present there and do a counter demonstration against that uh, rally. And uh, there may be violence as well, uh, clashes between the two groups and Antifa when they come to these things these events to express their dissatisfaction or maybe even to fight they dress in black and they they wear masks over their faces black masks usually just like they cover their faces with with black uh, clothing for example so that you can't see their faces and they 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 look pretty you know they look pretty scary um they don't have a uniform it's just like a ragtag kind of black uh, outfit and, and covered faces. Why do they all dress in black? Well, like other protest movements dating back to Cold War era West German anarchists, Antifa supporters will often dress all in black, sometimes covering their faces with masks or helmets so that they can't be identified by opposing groups or the police. It's an intimidating tactic. Intimidating is kind of like you know, to to scare people or to make people feel a bit unsure. So it's an intimidating tactic known as the black, uh, known as a black block, 
which also allows them to move together as one anonymous group. There are also offshoots, like little side movements. One Antifa group in Oregon said that they also have a snack block of people who provide food and water for their allies during protests. Uh, Point five, what tactics do they use? Antifa look to disrupt alt-right events and far-right speakers. They use a variety of tactics to do this, including shouting and chanting and forming human chains to block off right-wing demonstrators. Some are unapologetic about their online tactics, which include monitoring the far-right on social media. They also release personal information about their opponents online, commonly known as doxing. Uh, They've gotten some alt-right supporters fired from their jobs after identifying them online. Antifa groups also use more traditional forms of community organising, like rallies and protest marches. The most extreme factions will carry weapons, like pepper spray, knives, bricks and chains, and they don't rule out violence. So this means that uh, some Antifa people will get violent and they will actually attack uh, their targets. Point six is how violent are they? Well, it says their willingness to use violence marks out Antifa from many other left-wing activists. Although the Antifa members we spoke to said that they denounced the use of weapons and violent direct action. They said if violence does occur, it's as a form of self-defence. Yeah, I wonder about that. I, I, I think. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't actually seen an Antifa demonstration myself, so I can't really say. They also make historical arguments to justify their position. For instance, they ask, what if opponents of the German Nazi party had been more forceful in their opposition in the 1930s? Could World War II and the Holocaust have been averted? Um, Antifa have been directly and sometimes physically confronting the far right on the streets. And in some cases, they've been successful in postponing, cutting short or cancelling rallies and speeches up and down America. Uh, There's also a paragraph here that says, do women join Antifa groups? Well, traditionally, direct street action has been a mostly male domain, but significant numbers of women are members of Antifa groups and have been arrested at counter-demonstrations against the alt-right in California and elsewhere. Female members of Antifa groups told us that they view the current administration as being anti-women. They point to White House policies on immigration, affordable health care, abortion rights and voting rights, and say that they disproportionately affect women and minorities. Okay, so... Uh, I guess the main thing is that Antifa became a phenomenon since Trump's inauguration in 2016 and then continued through 2017 and beyond in response to the rise of the far right or the alt right in many places. So the story here is, I guess, the far right arising and, you know, as a result, Antifa arising too. So what's the solution to all of this? What? What's the solution, first of all, to the to the rise of the far right, if you consider that to be a problem, which I think probably most of you do. So what's the solution to that? Punching them in the face? Well, I don't know. Uh, that's, n- that's not all that Antifa do, um, uh, of course. They're, they're not just punching Nazis in the face or fascists in the face. It's not the only thing they do, of course, as we just read in that article. According to Antifa, 
the usual legal methods for resisting this creeping authoritarianism aren't working because the system doesn't properly deal with it. And they might cite, um, meaning they might sort of uh, refer to um, or state, uh, they might cite the fact that the US President Donald Trump belongs to this movement that they're fighting against and is kind of the figurehead for it. So to Antifa protesters, the current political administration is part of the problem, and so they take matters into their own hands in a variety of ways. So I guess basically this shows the extent to which the USA is divided at the moment. You have groups fighting online and in the streets. And it's not just the USA too. Groups with strongly different ideological or political opinions are clashing all over the place. The far right are rising in many areas and so are groups that want to resist them. Uh, I mean, what came first, the chicken or the egg? I mean, we're assuming here that basically the, 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 the fascism is rising as a result of, well, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I, d- I don't know really why, but as a result of the conditions of the moment. And then, you know, because anti-fat people or you know people other people in the community are looking at the rise of fascism and going we've got to stop this you know we we can't let this continue and so they've kind of grouped together and formed these anti-fascist groups who uh, protest against them fight against them or act against them in many ways Uh, so what about in your country what's the status of the far right there are they actually in government or having significant influence on the government? Does your political system provide adequate opposition to the current administration? And in what way? What kind of movements and counter-movements are there and and where are they? Is there fighting going on? Where is it happening? Between who and why? Are fascists and anti-fascists clashing in your country? And what are the reasons for this and how is this affecting society? So the word fascist then. So by the way, fascist, I think, is a dirty word, isn't it? It is kind of a dirty word. I mean, not many people these days are proud to call themselves fascists, are they? I think some people are. I'm, like, There's that one guy listening to this going, I think it's, you know, there's one person probably going, yeah, I'm a fascist. Yeah, I'm proud. They might be thinking that. So some people are proud to call themselves fascists, but I think generally the word is not favourable because it obviously has so many negative connotations that people understandably want to distance themselves from. Uh, they, you know, People want to distance themselves from that word, I would imagine. But I think what's more common is that people use the word fascist these days against anyone that they don't agree with and who they see as exercising too much authority or power. So fascist is generally used as a term of abuse, I think. Everyone seems to get called a fascist these days, including, well, as we've said, like, you know, the far right, mostly, but also movements that come from um, a left-wing and liberal position. Sometimes they get called fascist as well like social justice campaigners or the political correctness movement who basically want to create equal opportunities for everyone. They just want a level playing field and they get called fascists sometimes by people who see them as being too controlling or even oppressive with their methods of trying to achieve equality, which is ironic, isn't it? I think that's ironic. It's like right-wing people say, hey, the way you're trying to force us 
to treat everyone equally and fairly is too controlling. It's fascist. You don't get to force me to give everyone a fair chance. That's fascism, which I think is pretty weird. But I think in most people's minds, the word fascist is still associated with things like racism, sexism, homophobia, authoritarian power, militarism, and the silencing of political opposition. I think this is um, this may not be necessarily the original meaning of fascism, but you know, words change over time. They drift away from their original meaning as they are used differently by people. So, but I think generally these days, when we're talking about fascism, we're talking about things like racism, sexism, homophobia, and authoritarian power. Power and the silencing of political opposition. That's kind of a big deal. Like it's when when people in power start to arrange things so that they have no opposition, you know, so that their power is completely unchecked and where they start pushing laws that, um, that you know, you can argue are racist or homophobic and, and, and things like that. So that's what I, get. I think most people think of when they think of fascism so i as i've said i'm sure i've got some people listening to this who will feel it's necessary to defend the fascists or to redefine fascism as actually something really quite nice and reasonable and positive like hey it's just some people trying to defend their interests and and make the trains run on time so i'm sure that there are some people out there who who have warm fuzzy feelings about fascism but there it is i think in general as i said fascism is still defined in negative terms and why not uh going back to the point this is one of the words of the year because it shows that fascism is on the rise again or arguably has risen again and so this response to it antifa be it violent or non-violent has also risen too and this is the story and I'm not going to attempt to deal with this subject any further in this episode of the podcast uh, for learners of English. So I'm now I'm now stepping away from the topic slowly. Okay, I'm just I'm just backing away from the whole area. It's like just back away from the whole area, Luke. Careful now. Be careful not to trip up on anything. All right, just back away, nice and slowly. Move away from the subject and just close the door quietly. And so just gonna just quietly closing the door okay all right so good i managed to close the door on that whole thing hopefully that door's going to stay closed <coughs> during the during the rest of this episode we'll see maybe i don't know hopefully it won't pop open or slime is not going to come under the doorway or something like that we will see let's move on to the next word quickly okay the next one is is corbin mania Corbin mania, another portmanteau word, a mix of the word Corbin and the word mania. Corbin mania um, is defined by the Collins Dictionary as a noun, and it means fervent enthusiasm, like strong enthusiasm. It's nice. That's a nice collocation. Fervent enthusiasm for Jeremy Corbyn, the leader of the UK Labour Party. Oh God, more politics. I thought I'd escape the politics. No, 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 you can't. It's very hard to escape politics these days, isn't it? So Corbyn mania is basically, you know, you, you've heard about Beatle mania. That's when people were uh, crazy about the Beatles in the 60s. And well, now we, we're looking at the word Corbyn mania. Fervent enthusiasm for Jeremy Corbyn, the leader of the UK Labour Party. 
So this is a bit 2017, I think. Corbin mania. I think Corbin mania is arguably over now, isn't it? I'm not sure. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm. I'm. I just live in an echo chamber, and I just don't. I don't see that much Corbin mania. Uh, I don't know, but I thought it was kind of over now. I, I I associate Corbyn mania with the early days of his leadership of the Labour Party and maybe his appearance at the Glastonbury Music Festival in 2017 when he made a big speech in front of a big audience of uh, festival goers at Glastonbury. Glastonbury, you know, I've mentioned it before. It's one of the uh, one of the world's biggest music festivals. Jeremy Corbyn actually turned up at Glastonbury and made a speech in 2017 and the crowd loved it. They were all cheering and applauding and everyone was talking about it. So that was in 2017. So I don't know, is is Corbyn mania over now? I don't know. Um, anyway, we will see how things pan out with Brexit. I mean, we'll see how things develop with Brexit. That could make or break Corbyn's political career or general public opinion about Corbyn could be influenced a lot by Brexit. I mean, to be honest, we have to, everything's on hold because of Brexit at the moment. It's, you know, the way that Brexit pans out, is going to affect everything in UK life and politics. Anyway, Corbyn still might end up being our prime minister, if that's possible, if we have a general election, because Parliament loses confidence in the government over a failed Brexit deal. And then if Labour win the election, um, we might end up with Jeremy Corbyn as our prime minister. Uh, it's, you know, anything's possible. So let me try and sum up Corbyn mania and Jeremy Corbyn and basically what, what he stands for. So yeah, oh God, I've, I've moved from one political hot potato to another one here. Uh, but we are on British ground here. Um, it's British politics. So basically, Jeremy Corbyn, and I have talked about him on the podcast before. I've, I've, there was something relating to Jeremy Corbyn in the 2015 Words of the Year episode I did with Amber and Paul, and we talked about him a little bit then. Anyway, Jeremy Corbyn is the opposition leader. The opposition that means the the um, the people who uh, it's like the parties that are not in government. They still sit in the House of Commons. You've got the government, the the, the party that is in power on one side. And then you've got members of parliament who belong to probably Labour and other parties. Um, they sit on the other side and they, they, they're the opposition. It's their job to like, you know, they, they have the right to vote for or against laws that are brought through the House and they can debate with members of the government and forward different ideas and suggestions so they're you know they're there as a balancing force they are the opposition so uh jeremy corbyn is the opposition leader and he doesn't really fit the mainstream profile of a political leader um you know that kind of typical stereotype of a politician in the uk like you know wearing a sort of a like sharply presented wearing a suit and very kind of um conventional in in the in the sense that they act and look like normal politicians. Jeremy Corbyn is a bit unconventional. He's pretty popular with younger voters who might be university students or something, the sorts of people who are probably quite left-wing and don't like modern conservative policy 
and even the policies of the New Labour movement, which was created by people like Tony Blair. New Labour was a a sort of rebranded version of the Labour Party, which arrived in the mid-1990s. Because, you know, in the the 80s, when Margaret Thatcher and the Conservatives were in power for a whole decade, the Labour Party just lost loads of elections during that period. And all the way through the 90s into the mid-90s as well. And it was like the Labour Party was in crisis because Thatcher kind of... um, uh, she sort of broke down the the uh, trade union movement, which is always associated with the labour movement. The Thatcher kind of broke, so she managed to defeat the trade unions pretty much. And so labour were kind of like a bit lost and like, oh God, you know, uh, what, how can we recover from this? And the way that labour came back was that people like Tony Blair and his associates sort of well, Tony Blair became the leader of the Labour Party and he kind of redefined Labour. He had a new vision for it. He made it a bit more more centrist. And he actually borrowed some economic policies from the right or from the centre and mixed them with the kind of traditional social ideas of the of the left. So Tony Blair kind of moved the Labour Party into the centre. Um, um, but, you know, that became unpopular. Um, and... So younger people like have become more attracted. Some younger people, not all of them, but kind of university-educated type people uh, have become more attracted by, let's say, slightly more old-fashioned left-wing socialist uh, politics. Um, and so Corbyn's vision for the UK is more like old-fashioned democratic socialism, just old-fashioned left-wing politics. He doesn't look or sound like the kind of slick career politicians you see on TV. He's older. He's a bit like Bernie Sanders in the USA. He's older. He's grey. He's got a beard. And in a way, he's like a sort of Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, Gandalf-type figure-ish. But that doesn't mean to say everyone loves him. It's just that the people who do like him really like him. Uh, he's got plenty of critics, but he's also got his his hardcore fans. And in 2016 and 2017, those fans, this, this meant a lot of younger voters. At the Glastonbury Music Festival in 2017, Corbyn went onto the stage and delivered a big speech in front of a cheering crowd of music fans, flying flags with hearts and rainbows and so on, and posters... The post, you know, the flags with rainbows and hearts and things, peace and love, man, and posters saying stuff like bollocks to Brexit and stuff like that. So this is the crowd of people that Corbyn spoke to at the festival. And Corbyn, he's a a bit like the anti-Trump, or in the UK, that means anti-conservative or anti-right. And his speech actually included a lot of messages directed at Trump and his policies and that whole movement, for example, saying that we need to knock down walls between people, not build them up. He said, build bridges, not walls, was his statement. And, you know, obviously Donald Trump's famous for saying, we're going to build, we're going to build a wall and the Mexicans are going to, are going to build it. We're going to build a wall between America and Mexico. We're going to keep all of the illegal, illegal immigrants out. Still no wall. Where's the wall, Donald? We don't know. Um, Anyway, Corbyn said, build bridges, not walls. 
and uh, generally he was pushing the message that it's unfair that there's too much that there's so much poverty in our society uh, when some people are so rich so he's saying that this is basically unfair in a civilized society it's like what bernie sanders says there's something deeply wrong with our society when a tiny percentage owns the vast majority of the resources and the capital and that this is because of a huge imbalance of power the one percent owns all the money and therefore also has the power and are in a sense untouchable and the conservative government or the establishment don't do enough to redress the imbalance and you know we've got sort of record levels of poverty and people living on the streets and things like this while um uh the Tories are giving tax breaks to big businesses. Um, and it's going to, you know, it's according to Corbyn, this is like a, 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 an imbalance, which is, you know, even against basic human rights. So the Glastonbury speech made by Jeremy Corbyn was mainly about those kinds of liberal values and the crowd loved it. They were all cheering. I mean, to be fair, by doing a speech at the Glastonbury festival, Corbyn was basically preaching to the converted but anyway, it showed that he's he's got a lot of fans and it was a moment when you could, you know, say Corbyn mania was 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 here, you know. Um, not everyone loves him, of course. He has his critics. And in fact, his party, the Labour Party, has lots of internal problems at the moment. They're split over the direction that Corbyn wants to go and other issues. So lots of people even within the Labour Party hate Jeremy Corbyn. And they, uh, you know, some people feel that Corbyn is too radical or idealistic. And with him as a leader, Labour doesn't stand a chance of winning a general election because he doesn't attract people from the centre or from the right. He just appeals to his fans or the people who, who are, are on the left and uh, he just appeals to these people more and more strongly rather than being able to like expand the appeal of the Labour Party to include the centre and maybe even some people from the right. Um, so that's, I guess, one of the reasons why some members of Labour don't like Corbyn. But I think there are other issues going on too that I don't fully understand. Um, uh, maybe we can hear some of that speech. Now, I don't actually have my computer plugged into my audio device here, but what I can do is just just put the microphone close to the speakers of my computer and you'll be able to hear Jeremy Corbyn speaking for probably just a, a minute and a half. So this is Jeremy Corbyn at Glastonbury. I think it was at the pyramid stage. Imagine a huge audience of people. They're all, well, not all of them. Most of these people will be young, sort of uh, late teens, 20s, early 30s, a music festival type audience, uh, all the flags flying and... Um, you know, the sorts of things you would expect from an audience at the Glastonbury Festival. So let's see if you can hear Jeremy Corbyn's speech now. And if you can see that far, look on the wall right over there that surrounds this wonderful festival. And there's a message on that wall for President Donald Trump. And you know what it says? Build bridges, not walls. There's a number of things. They're very simple, very basic questions we should ask ourselves. Is it right that so many people in our country have no home to live in and only a street to sleep on? Is it right that so many people 
are frightened of where they live at the moment, having seen the horrors of what happened in Grenfell Tower? Is it right that so many people live in such poverty in a society surrounded by such riches? No, it obviously is not. And is it right that European nationals living in this country, making their contribution to our society, working in our hospitals, schools and universities, don't know if they're going to be allowed to remain here. I say they all must stay and they all must be part of our world and part of our community. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, so that was Jeremy Corbyn at Glastonbury. Now, he sort of stole the show at Glastonbury, actually. Um, he kind of stole the show. I mean, he he, en- he ended up being the, the, the thing that everyone was talking about. So what does that say about the current situation, that a politician making a speech can be the most popular or talked about event at a huge music festival? I mean, m- perhaps that shows that sort of politics is alive and well, or it tells us that our music scene is terrible. And I don't know uh, which one it tells us, really. Uh, let's have a quick dip into the comments section of that video. Here are a couple of comments. We've got the positive and the negative. Uh, we'll start with the positive. So this is f- uh, from McCure a year ago. You know, people's like YouTube comments names. Sorry, YouTube account names are always impossible to read. McCure a year ago said, if Theresa May did this, she'd get lynched meaning that they'd grab her and they'd like... Getting lynched is not really a funny thing. If someone gets lynched, it means they get grabbed by a group of people and maybe beaten up or or hanged or, or tortured or something. Anyway, if Theresa May did this, she'd get lynched. I've never known so many people to take a, a political leader... Sorry. I've never known so many people take to a political leader like they have Jeremy Corbyn. If you take to something, it means you, you, you like it, you embrace it, and and as a concept, um, never known so many people to take to a political leader like they have Jeremy Corbyn. Long may it continue, Corbyn for PM. That comment got 121 likes, and then G Star warmed from a year ago wrote this. The most important political leader of his generation, demanding peace, equality and socialism. This is an incredible moment. JC for PM, meaning Jeremy Corbyn for Prime Minister. 146 likes on that comment. Uh, By the way, the video itself. um, um, Well, actually, these are comments from a, a slightly different video, but the same speech. No, no, it's the same video. It's the same video. Sorry. Um, the video itself has been viewed 35,000 times. All right. It received 467 likes and 144 dislikes, which is quite a lot. But, you know, obviously a political speech is always going to divide people, I suppose. Uh, so I'll, I'll keep reading the comments. G Star warmed. Yeah, that's the most political, the most important political leader comment. Then the negative. We've got one from Dave Lombardo a year ago. And he wrote this. He can't spell, though. I don't know why. He said, you think the UK is fuked now. It will be totally fuked if he, be- if he bog- bockhomes. Oh, my God. You think the UK is fuked now. It will be totally fuked if he bockhomes PM. 
Uh, maybe English is not this person's first language, but that should be. You think the UK's fucked now? It'll be totally fucked if he becomes prime minister. That one got three likes. Uh, this one from a YouTube channel that is arrogant enough to call itself the truth. And it goes like this. Bahahaha, Corbyn, Glastonbury and the champagne middle class socialist Glastonbury kids are delusional. Champagne socialist. Have you ever heard that expression? If you describe someone as a champagne socialist, it means that they have sort of socialist ideas, you know, that they are all about sort of um, protecting the rights of working people, but they they are actually quite well off and middle class and maybe they drink champagne. They're called champagne socialists, sort of like not proper socialists, but it's supposed to expose people, expose the contradiction of being uh, middle class and fairly wealthy, yet having socialist ideas. And people call those people champagne socialists. And then Baldy Man 64 who I imagine is someone who was a bit bald, who was born in 1964. So you can imagine a sort of like a, a middle-aged English man uh, wrote this a year ago. He wrote, if you can see that far, and this is a quote of what Corbyn said. He said, if you can see that far, look on the wall right over there that surrounds this wonderful festival. There's a message on that wall for President Donald Trump. Do you know what it says? Build bridges, not walls. And Baldy Man 64 has written, hilarious. You couldn't make it up. The message is painted on a wall, a wall that exists to keep out those who haven't contributed to the cost of making the festival happen, kind of like a border. I mean, fair enough, Baldy Man. I suppose it is quite ironic that uh, that Corbyn has said, look at the message that's written on that wall. It says, build bridges, not walls. And everyone went, yay, we love this message. Build bridges, not walls, even though it's written on a wall. Uh, okay, I, I don't know if the comparison of the Glastonbury festival which obviously needs a wall around it um because it's for paying festival goers is that the same thing as a country with which has borders you know is a music festival the same as a country i know they have both might have a border around them but does that make that does that make it the same thing i don't know and anyway so i think it's probably time to move on we're going to move on to um the next word which is a bit nicer and there's less polit there less there are less politics there is less politics oh god it's less political to be honest it's politics is okay oh god politics is or are this is a, a very common thing um grammophobia.com Politics can be used with either a singular or plural verb, depending on your meaning. In general, it's singular. There you go. You see, politics is. It's plural only when it means a particular set of political beliefs. So politics is my favourite subject, for example. Okay, so there you go. Just in case you were doubting me there in my use of English. Um, so uh, what was I saying? So uh, uh, moving away from the politics, let's move into something a bit less political. I think it's less political anyway. And so this is the next word in the list of the words of the year. How many words is this now? What have we had? Uh, we had fake news. Then we had... Then we had Antifa. Then we had Corbyn mania, right? Uh, and now we've got cuffing season. Cuffing season. This is the fourth word in a list of 10 
Oh my God, I'm going to be here forever. All right, so cuffing season. So this is a noun and it refers to the period of autumn and winter when single people are considered likely to seek settled relationships rather than engage in casual affairs. So it's all about when people settle down and get into serious uh, relationships rather than just sort of having one-night stands or um, casual relationships. It's all about getting together with partners in a more um, uh, committed way during autumn and winter when it's cold and dark outside. Cuffing season, C-U-F-F-I-N-G. Cuffing. Now, cuffing means to become locked to something, actually with handcuffs. Handcuffs, these are the things that if you get arrested by the police, they put handcuffs on you, you know, like chick, chick, like they, they put handcuffs. Those are handcuffs on you. To be cuffed to something means to be attached to something with handcuffs. Now, I suppose cuffing season then means when people get attached to each other sort of permanently or seriously. The idea of handcuffs, you might think handcuffs, ooh, now, the idea of that could be that it could be negative, like being caught by the police and jailed, uh, or it could be kinky, sort of in a sexual way, like using handcuffs during kinky sex. Those are the, probably the two thoughts that you might have when you think of handcuffs. But cuffing season isn't really negative, and although it might involve sex in some, you know, in some way, because it's about relationships, it's more about intimacy and making a permanent commitment to being with just one person. Um, so it's not really a negative thing. It's not really about going to jail, although it is a sort of a commitment, a permanent thing. It's not just sex, sexual. Uh, it's more about making a strong commitment, personal commitment to one person. Cuffing season refers to this period of the year when people feel like settling down with one person in a secure relationship. Perhaps it's because during the winter it gets dark and cold and you just want one person who you can snuggle up with and feel secure with. It seems that people perhaps are more likely to get into serious long-term relationships at this time of year. I don't know if there's any real research to back this up. Uh, I think probably it's more based on personal experience that people have started calling it cuffing season because they've noticed people getting together at this time of year or they've got a sense that they want to get together at this time of year. So it's just come out, it's just emerged in the culture. I don't think it's actually based on on research. So I don't know if it's really true that people do get together in more serious relationships during the autumn and, and winter months. From personal experience... I can say that I actually first got together with my wife in the winter. It was sort of near the end of winter. So maybe there is some truth in this idea. I don't know. What about you? Are you in a committed relationship? And if you are, when did you first get together and get serious about each other? Was it in the autumn or winter? During cuffing season? Maybe there's some truth in this. I've never, To be honest, I've never actually heard anyone say cuffing season. I've never heard anyone say it in actual conversation. I've never used the term before outside of this podcast episode. I don't think people actually say it very much. I don't think people, hey, so what are you doing this weekend? Well, it's cuffing season, so uh, I'm, you know, I've got a date lined up. Like, what? What do you mean cuffing season? Didn't you read that report in the newspaper? 
I don't think it's the sort of thing that people actually say in their general conversations, but it is the sort of language that you might read in articles about lifestyle and relationships. You might read it in newspaper or magazine articles or articles online. It's just one of those buzzwords that kind of gets used. Sometimes these buzzwords are just used a lot in the media rather than in everyday conversation. So I've got an article from the Metro. Do you know the Metro? It's a free newspaper uh, which is available... I think you can get it in different cities, but it's certainly available in London. It's a free newspaper that you find uh, on the underground in London and on buses. Um, Arguably, it's a shit newspaper. Uh, Arguably. Um, I mean, I I don't sort of consider the Metro to be a really great paper uh, in any sense, but it's free. It's just one of those free papers that you get and... I don't know. We'll see. We're going to read through the article and we'll see what you think of it. So let's, okay, let's read through this article from the Metro, uh, which is all about cuffing season. It comes from December last year. So it was published pretty much one year ago. And it's all about cuffing season. It's it's uh, written by Funmi Olutoye, who I imagine is a, you know, an English journalist writing for the Metro. So it goes like this. Somewhere between mid-November and March, a phenomenon known as cuffing season emerges. This has nothing to do with actual handcuffs, but more about being metaphorically attached to a romantic partner. As the nights get longer and the memories of summer start to fade away, many of us feel an overwhelming desire to settle down and hibernate. Hibernate, that means sort of go to sleep for a long time in order to basically just get through the winter months. Like bears hibernate in winter, you know? They go off, they crawl into a cave, they eat loads and loads of food and get really fat, and then they crawl into a cave and they just fall asleep for the entire winter. And then when they wake up and they come out, often they're like really angry and hungry and the bear's like, I've just come out of hibernation, I need some food. You don't want to meet a bear when they come out of hibernation. They're often very grumpy. Imagine imagine like you when you've got up in the morning and you haven't had coffee. Imagine that, but multiplied by a thousand. That's what a bear is like when it comes out of hibernation. Anyway, so during as the nights get longer, many of us feel like we want to settle down and hibernate. And suddenly, even though you thought you were happily single, you find yourself longing for cosy nights in with a significant other. Here are a few things that happen when we fall into the trap of cuffing season. Is it a trap? Is it a trap to to suddenly feel like you want to be in a relationship with someone? Is that a trap? I mean, I suppose it depends on how much you value your, your, your single life. So maybe if you're happily single and just enjoying being a you know, carefree, happy-go-lucky single person, then maybe cuffing season is a trap. But also maybe cuffing season doesn't have to be a trap. It can be quite nice, that feeling of like, oh, I'd like, I'd just like to snuggle up with someone. Uh, And, you know, it could be a good opportunity to meet someone. Anyway, here are a few things, according to this article, that happen when we fall into the trap of cuffing season. Number one, you start feeling a sense of, you start feeling a, a false sense of loneliness. So you've been single all year, but for some reason now it's getting colder. No, I I read that wrong. For some reason now it's getting colder. Well, we know why it's getting cold. It's not for some reason. It's because it's winter. Like, hello. Anyway, you've been single all year, but for some reason now that it's getting colder, it's as though you suddenly feel your singleness so much more. 
yeah, we all know that feeling of like, oh, it's cold and oh, it's cold. I wish I had a girlfriend. Uh, what is it about long winter evenings that make you realise just how single you are and how yet another Friday night has gone by with no date? Oh, it's true, isn't it? So that feeling of like, oh, I feel lonely. It's cold. I'd like to be with someone. Uh, number two, uh, here's another thing that happens. All you start to see on Instagram are hashtag couple goals. Okay, here we go. The Instagram generation. Instagram suddenly looks like a Tinder conversation six months on. Tinder is when is what you know it's an app that people use to find a a, a person to date. I say date; it could be just have sex with. Uh, but um, Tinder conversations are like you know very flirtatious conversations with someone you don't really know very well. But uh, if you can imagine a Tinder conversation six months later, it would be like beyond just the flirtatious stage and into a much more profound kind of uh, loving intimate stage so instagram looks like a tinder conversation six months on this means that suddenly people are posting these very intimate nice cuddly warm cozy pictures of them with their partner like oh you know uh, how, uh, hashtag couple goals is it just you or is the world and his wife in a relationship people who you genuinely thought would be perpetually single or at least would be single way after you, are now in relationships and are showing it all over social media. Ugh. Oh, God, I, d- I don't like this bit, I have to say. People who you thought would, would be perpetually single, or at least would be single way after you, are now in relationships and are showing it all over social media. So this is saying that, like, oh, you, you're starting to feel shit because, like, oh, no, even even that loser has got a girlfriend or boyfriend. Oh, if that's how you feel, if you just feel shitty because someone who you judge to be undateable is now in a relationship and you're feeling like like low self-esteem as a result, then, you know, you kind of get what you pay for, don't you? Because, I mean, it's not very nice to sort of, to, to, to kind of say, well, huh, at least this guy's or this girl's got no date. I'm okay. And then when they do get a date, you're like, oh my God, what's wrong with me? Even that terrible loser hasn't got a date. Like, stop judging other people. It doesn't do you any good. Anyway, flashy dates, winter sun getaways, nights in with pizza and X Factor. Suddenly, it seems painfully appealing. And then, then here in the article, there is an example of this kind of Instagram post that might make you feel both um depressed because you're single and also jealous of the the person in the relationship and it's a picture from quebec of a couple uh in some winter market in front of like a nice looking building i guess in near the center of town and they're and they're they've got their nice winter coats on and they're kissing and it says underneath the post, it says, this is from Mel H. Wang. And it says, kisses remind us how wonderful it is to be connected to the people we love. Kiss, uh, kiss emoji, Christmas tree emoji. Inspiration. There's nothing closer or more intimate than a kiss or a hug. Heart emoji. I feel like it's an exchange of warmth. And it's, the, it's one that reminds us that the most wonderful thing in life is love. Wanting to pause this moment at the Quebec City Christmas Market with, and then like the Instagram username of her boyfriend, forever. Wanting to pause this moment forever. Wearing our matching Canadian Woods jackets we got from our friends at At Sport Check. Uh, 
also blowing you all the kisses in the world because I love all of you, obviously. Kiss emoji. I, I'm cynical about that Instagram post because, first of all, it makes you feel like shit, right? I mean, if you're single. But also, that's an advert. I mean, that's just a that's a sponsored Instagram post because the whole thing is bullshit made up fake situation, right? Because, I mean, maybe this girl is in a relationship with this guy, but this is an advert for, for Canadian Woods jackets. Make no mistake. This is it's fake news, man. It's not that it's news. But that's just an advert for some jackets. Because she says, she makes a point of saying, wearing our matching Canadians Woods jackets that we got from our friends at Sport Check. And she like mentions the Instagram for, for, the, for the clothing company in there too. I bet that is a sponsored post, which is pretty despicable. Instagram, we're going to come on to Instagram in this series. Because one of the words in, the, in this Words of the Year series is related to Instagram. I talked about it in the last one. You can see that I'm not a fan. I think, you know, Instagram can be all right, you know, depending on what you use it for. But I think a lot of the stuff that's on Instagram is like this, and it doesn't make people feel that good. Um, I'm going to talk about this later, but research has shown that of all of the social networks, Instagram is the one that actually makes people feel bad. And it's because you compare yourself to... um, the people in the pictures that you follow and and a lot of the pictures and a lot of the Instagram stories and stuff are just fake. They're just manufactured in order to often advertise products in a, in a kind of a slightly insidious way. So this post that the writer of this article is, 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 is citing as an example of Instagram posts that make you feel lonely. This is a, this is an advert for, for some jackets. Anyway, number three, uh, the ex slides into your messages, meaning your ex-boyfriend or girlfriend suddenly starts to message you. It says, usually under the guise of jokey insults, meaning uh, they pretend to just start to uh, make fun of you and insult you in a jokey way, but actually their real intention is to just make contact with you, maybe because they, they miss you. So usually under the guise of jokey insults, my personal favourite being, hey, big head, but inevitably, you'll receive at least one text, WhatsApp, or direct message from an ex. It's as though the sudden drop in temperature to single figures has jogged their memory about how good you were to them. Now they want to come back, walk down memory lane, and feel the false security of familiarity, and it can be all too easy to fall for. So basically, they're saying, watch out, don't fall for this this um you know this situation where your ex is trying to you know get back with you number 4 you scramble for someone to pretend you're dating for the pictures oh don't do that to yourself do you need to you need to you need a person you need to get with a person just so you can pretend that you're dating just so that you don't look like a lonely bastard on instagram Oh dear, social media, man. It's like forces people to fake stuff in their own lives just so that they can take pictures so that they other you know, so that other people don't think they're lonely. It just it's like Instagram is this community where everyone's got a wonderful life and everything's fantastic all the time. But in but in reality everyone's like feels so bad. They're just looking at other people's lives and just ju- and just judging them and judge and feeling bad about themselves as well. 
It's like the the difference between Instagram and reality is 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 so obvious to me. It's just ah. So anyway, you scramble for someone. You like you're desperately trying to find someone to pretend you're dating for the pictures. And it says there's literally nothing to make you crave a date more than a local Christmas market. Mulled wine, ice skating, steaming sausages, and chunky knitwear all make for great photos, especially after you pick the right filter. Oh yeah, that's right. You've got to filter it as well, haven't you? You've got to filter reality to make it look even nicer than it really was by using a photo filter. Just think of how glorious your Instagram grim will look. You'll be the envy of all your other single friends, right? Oh yeah, because that's what's important. Is if you've got any single friends, you must make them feel jealous. Because this is how this is this is how this is the path to happiness, right? Making your friends feel jealous. That's how you really. Make that's that's how you really feel good about yourself," he said sarcastically. "This is becoming another rant. Didn't mean this to happen. I don't normally rant about things. Uh, number five. You realise it's all an illusion, really. Anyway, at some point during cuffing season, you'll find yourself on a night out with your other single friends and realise that actually you're perfectly happy just as you are." Okay, so it kind of worked out in the end. The cold weather and manufactured social media reality aren't a good reason to get into a relationship anyway. Okay, so I guess the writer, a lot of this stuff was sort of like ironic or sarcastic, all this stuff about pretending to be dating someone for the pictures, um, not wanting to get back together with your ex, uh, feeling bad about seeing contrived Instagram messages, uh, wanting to make your friends jealous. All that stuff was just ironic then. It's not not really what the writer thinks, I hope. Uh, anyway, so there you go. That was kind of cuffing season. So what about you? What, it, does this happen where you're from? Because, I mean, obviously this is a UK thing, cuffing season, because our seasons work in this way, that we do have this period where everything goes dark because the, the days go short. Because we are, you know, we're quite high north, and so in the winter, the sun goes down, start, you know, it starts to get very dim and grey around 4pm and the sun comes up pretty late. And some days in the middle of winter, it's like you don't see the sun for weeks. Does that, does that make sense? Some days it feels like you don't see the sun for weeks. You know what I mean. <laughs> so maybe this is a UK thing. I don't know about the rest of the world, but do you have cuffing season? I know in some parts of the world where you're listening to this, it gets very harsh and cold for a long period of time during the winter months. So do you have cuffing season as well? Do people tend to, do you want to get together and be in a a nice intimate relationship during the winter? But then in the summer, you're like, just let me just throw my clothes off and just be free. I don't know. You can let us know in the comments section. Um, When did you meet and get together with your partner? You could share that information if you fancy it. Um, And how do you deal with the cold and dark periods of winter? Me, for for me, in as a Brit in winter, well, a nice way to deal with the cold and dark weather is to stay and get warm, drink plenty of tea, and just watch some good British TV, like some stupid TV show about like antiques or something like that. Huh? Like antiques? Yeah, just the usual crap, low budget TV that they make, which is meant for old people to watch. So it's like very slow and comforting and not very challenging. And it's not all brash and 
It's just like, here are some antiques that we found in the loft of our house, and we're now going to try and sell them in the local market. Let's meet some of the local people from our village, and we'll meet an expert who's going to tell us all about the history of the antique items that we found in our loft. Oh, just comfort TV, that is. Yeah, okay. Right, well, that's the end of part two of this series. This is... These, whenever I do, uh, whenever I say this on the podcast, hey, this is going to be a series. I don't know how long it's going to be. That means it's going to be really long, doesn't it? I think so. Shut up, shut up, Siri. Sometimes Siri, I, Siri has heard me then my, on my phone. I don't know if you could hear, did you hear that? Did you hear Siri speaking? And it thinks I said, hey, Siri, please, whenever I do, I save this on the potty. Well, good. That's not what I said. I didn't ask you anything, Siri. Did I ask you... Hey, Siri, did I ask you something? Siri says, I'm not sure I understand. Oh, Siri. Siri never understands. I've never had one decent conversation with Siri. Let's, Let's try. Hey, Siri, let's have a conversation. It's uh, Siri, why are you not speaking? Where's, where did your voice go? It's just, it says, that may be beyond my abilities at the moment. I like the way it says, at the moment. So Siri, they're working on Siri. At the moment, Siri is kind of um, a bit basic, but uh, in a few years, it's going to be more and more. And so Siri's listening. Siri, you were listening. Hey, Siri, were you listening to me the ho- this whole time? Ah, oh, yeah, I don't believe you. Hey, Siri, are you always listening to me? I only listen when you're talking to me. I don't believe... How do you... Uh, really? Hmm. If someone was only listening when you were talking to them, how would they know when you start talking to them? I know it's like, hey, Siri. But you've got to be listening in order to hear me say, hey, Siri, haven't you? Hey, Siri, you've got to be listening to me in order to hear me say, hey, Siri, haven't you? Talk to Siri. Ah, I'll wait a few years and have a proper conversation with you later. That's the end of this podcast episode, ladies and gents. There will be more parts of this this episode coming soon. We're going to deal with some other words that are still a bit of politics, but not too much, not as much as we had before. And don't forget those wonderful fidget spinners are coming. Uh, let's go back in time a year or two and talk about fidget spinners. You thought, I thought that was all done and dusted, Luke. I thought that the human race had had sort of worked its way through that particular um, craze. Well, no, I'm, I'm going to bring them back uh, on the podcast and talk about them a little bit. Um, okay, I bet you can't wait for that. Oh, yes. Okay, well, thanks for listening. Um, um, what else do I have to say? Join the mailing list on the website, teacherluke.co.uk. Stick your email address in. You'll see a little form in the top right-hand corner. And then whenever I post a web, uh, whenever I post an episode or a, something on the website, you'll get an email in your inbox with a link and you just go straight to it. So it's convenient. Convenient way of getting straight to the page for the episode where you'll find transcriptions and notes and videos and, and other stuff like that. Um, consider becoming a member of Luke's English Podcast Premium. Uh, it's very simple to do. You just go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium and follow the instructions, okay? Choose a payment plan. It's basically the price of a cup of coffee. Um, 
if from my local cafe anyway, it's like the price of a cup of coffee a month. You just make sure that I've got enough coffee or tea um, and you'll get access to a growing library of premium content, which is all about language. And I, I spend ages preparing these premium episodes and recording them and uploading them and providing you with downloadable PDFs that you can use that are like worksheets. Recently, I did a series, a five-part series called English Phrases My Wife Has Learned From Me. That's the most uh, recent uh, premium uh, episode series that I've done. And um, it features a two-part conversation with my wife. So you'll hear us talking, uh, sitting on the sofa, talking to each other about English that she's learned from me over the years. And we t- we go through a, a list of different phrases. And then after that, in, in the two other episodes, I really explain and clarify, demonstrate the, the, the English phrases that we looked at in the conversation and sort of point certain things out to make sure that you uh, don't make certain common mistakes. And then in the last part of the series, uh, there's a, a kind of a, a test where I say some prompts to you and you have to re- reply with the with the language that you've hopefully, hopefully learned or practiced in the other uh, parts. And there are listen and repeat drills for pronunciation and uh, questions and tasks on the on the downloadable worksheets and all that stuff. So that's the most recent um, episode of uh, Luke's English Podcast Premium. If you want to get involved and support the podcast uh, by sending me the, the price of a coffee every month, teacherluke.co.uk slash premium. All right. Uh, you can get all the episodes in the Luke's English Podcast app and, and online as well. Uh, and that's it then for this episode. Have a lovely, 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 lovely morning, afternoon, evening, night, whatever time of day it is, wherever you are in the world. I'll speak to you again in the next episode, which will be arriving before too long. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. You are a wonderful human being and really a, 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 an exemplary specimen of the human race. I mean, they, you know, you are the, you could be the pinnacle of human life thus far on planet Earth. I mean, really, you're standing on the shoulders of giants and you're probably standing on the shoulders of dwarfs as well in some case come some cases i don't know just if if that's the case get off their shoulders because that's even the giants i mean I'm, the giants are big and strong but i'm sure they don't like having you standing on their shoulders it's just an expression ladies and gents stop talking now luke that's 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 fine okay i'll stop talking thank you for listening i'll speak to you again soon but for now goodbye bye 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar, and pronunciation teaching from me, and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.